welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. So listen to me carefully. You can pay all your bills. Say, God, I got to make sure I do the mortgage. Got to make sure I do the light bill. Got to make sure I do this. And here's what's left over for you. Here's what God says. I can't accept that. I can only accept first. The tithe must be first. Now, let me tell you how this works out in my life. Uh, We get paid on the 15th and the 30th. When I'm having my quiet time, I I just go online on that day during my quiet time and I give the time. It is the first funds that go out of my account because it's in the Word. The tithe is first. God's first in my life. If you look at my check register, every time there's an entry, there's a check going up. Comes in, goes to the church immediately. I have loved the animation that our tech team did, and uh, just want to, yeah, let's clap for them. And I I love the sermons that Pastor Robert Morris preached last year. Again, you can find them on the website if you want a refresher course. Uh, But let me just talk about this real quick. He talked about you could check his check register and see that it came in and it went out. So if we could get everybody to get your check register and give it to the person sitting next to you right now, we could do that real quick. People are like, I'm quitting the church. I'm out. All right. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. All right. Just breathe easy. But how many know the check register doesn't lie? Doesn't lie. I mean, if we were to look at your check register, and we won't, okay, we're not going to do that. But if we did, would you be excited about it or would you be afraid? Would you be like, well, there must be a missing entry in there somewhere, uh, something in there? Or would you say, man, look, you'll see, you'll see. And I was looking through the the Bible, looking for a scripture that was kind of like, a check registry, uh, a scripture, and I found it in Matthew chapter 6. You don't have to turn there, it'll be on the screen, but Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21, it says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's saying you're going to put your treasure where your heart is. And where you put your treasure, your heart's going to follow that. That's a a check registry scripture. The Bible is telling us don't store things here. Don't just keep spending on things here. It's not about here, but it tells us you can take the money and put it there. There being eternity. There being heaven. There being, you can send it ahead. And he says, because wherever you put your treasure, if you put it here, your heart's going to be here. And if you put your treasure there, your heart will be there. And it's just one of these things that we have to realize, I want to invest in the things of God. I want to invest in things that matter for eternity. I want to make a difference, and I want to put my treasures into eternity. Now, how many know that wherever you put your money, you start seeing things wherever you put your money. 
Okay, I'll illustrate that. If you were to leave here this week and you were to go and buy a smart car and try to drive it in the snow, that's a whole other story. Okay, but if you were to go buy a smart car, how many know that all of a sudden you'd be like, hey, there's another person with a smart car? You would start seeing smart cars everywhere because you now own a smart car. How many know that if you bought a Hummer, you would start seeing Hummers all around and you would want to form a, a life group to console each other with your gas mileage? You know, you would just, how many know? right? But you may never see a Hummer before, but as soon as you get one, you're like, hey, there's one, there's one there. Hey, same color as ours. All right? But so whatever you start spending your money on, you start seeing because your money and your heart, they get attached. And so the Bible tells us, put your money where your heart is going to go, and your money as a follower of Jesus Christ is going into eternal things, and you're going to start noticing eternal things. I can illustrate this as well. Our church is very, very familiar with the country of Swaziland. How many know what I'm talking about? We are very familiar with Swaziland. But I guarantee you, before you started giving to Swaziland and Children's Cup and going on global teams to Swaziland and started putting your money there, many of you had no clue. If you were to take a geography test, they'd say, where's Swaziland? You'd go, Africa? I mean, how many know what I'm talking about? But as soon as you started giving there, you're like, Swaziland, that's my South Africa. It borders Mozambique. It's a small little country with a king. And you'd know all this stuff about it because you started giving there. And you will know more about heaven. You will know more about the eternal things as you start putting your money there because where your treasure goes, your heart starts to follow behind that. So what does your check register say about you? Where is your heart hanging out lately? Where is it hanging out? Now, I've enjoyed this series, and we're closing it out with The Church Just Wants Your Money. And uh, I want to put some people at ease if you're visiting with us or watching online. I just want to tell you that we will love you whether you give everything you have to the church or you give nothing. We will love you. It didn't matter. We don't open the church and only say only givers can come. Only people that give a certain amount can come. The rest of you stay away. We love everyone. And so when it says the church just wants your money, I really think we need a question mark there because that's the appropriate thing. Nothing could be further from the truth. We want to help you to grow spiritually, and I want to help you with a lot of things that you can learn to grow spiritually. Now, as I said, this is the last part of the series. I want to clear up a few things that I said and just kind of go ahead and talk about a few things. Last week, I said your offering, your tithes, your kingdom builders it has a voice. And uh, if you remember, I had my little offering bucket here with different places that our offering is gone. And this is so cool. I just, I thought about we could almost use the, the decorated bucket each week, but maybe not. But anyways, uh, it's a cool thing to see where the money's all going. And I got these letters from people. These are just recent letters or cards. This is from Convoy of Hope. These are people that bring care to the hurting. This is from a ministry that we support that brings clothing and food. This is one that is all over Haiti right now. We support them. We give them large amounts of money, tens of thousands of dollars. And they said, just a note to say thank you for your generosity to Convoy of Hope. Because of your giving, thousands of people receive practical help and eternal hope. That's, they're saying, we thank God for your giving in Haiti and all around the world. Whenever there's been a tsunami or an earthquake or a hurricane, we are giving and our offering has a voice. This is one that said, your generosity is second only to your awesomicity. And I didn't know that was a word. But anyways, it said, it's a major blessing to know that you and River Valley Church have our back. We're so encouraged to begin this journey, this adventure, this calling by being sent from our church. 
We're overwhelmed with gratitude. Thank you for helping us financially to get out to Seattle. This is a couple in our church that's going to learn how to run an inner city ministry, and we bless them, helping them to pay moving expenses to move there because our offering has a voice, and it's going to be training in Seattle to go to another inner city place to help people that are less fortunate. Here's one that we got from a missionary, and he said, thank you so much for your donation. Timing is everything, and your timing was perfect. God bless you. This is one that I said we need to send something, and we don't normally send to this one. I just felt like God said for us to do that. This is one from a church we're starting in Boston, okay? And it says, thank you so much for your generosity that you showed to us. We were blown away by the resources you sent. What a blessing. God has proven himself faithful time and time again since we've stepped out in faith. He's done it again, and this time through you. I thank God for that. Things like this come into me all the time, and maybe I need to read them more often in the services because I get these every day. They come in, and emails that come in all the time. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. Your offering has a voice, and it goes all the way around the world. Now, another thing I want to clarify, again, I will say it. We believe the tithe is for today. I still keep getting people each week, are you sure, are you sure? I believe the tithe predates the law, as I've explained in earlier services. I believe it's in the law, and I believe that grace giving says start with the tithe and go beyond that. I believe it's for today. It shows that we trust that God is our source, that we're on mission with God, and that we believe in him. Now, the Old Testament followers of Jesus Christ, or of God, the Israelites, The Old Testament followers of God had to give 10%. And I want to tell you something that just hit me so strong this week. It hit me so strong that the Old Testament followers of God had to give a tithe of 10%. And on top of that, they gave more and more. And it averaged about 23% of what they made they gave to the Lord. Now, I want you to understand that this is what was driven home to me this week is they worked in fields with no power tools, with their hands, with donkeys and oxen. They had vineyards that they tended with their hands. They took care of their crops pre-pesticide, okay? Weeds, we're talking lots of work. And as they do that, as they bring in the harvest, God says, give me 10% and give me the best 10%. I'll take care of you. And then he asked for more in other years. Think about how easy it is for us to make money today. Many of us work in air-conditioned offices, sitting at a computer, making wonderful salaries. With a click of a button, we can do a $10,000 trade. With a click of a button, we can seal a $100,000 deal. With a click of a button, we can sell a million dollars. Boom. And all of a sudden, click. Nobody was clicking in the Old Testament. And yet we think, well, Lord, it's so much harder to tithe today. I mean, after all, we have malls, you know, and they want our money, and we have commercials and all that. It was way harder for them to give than it is for us, way harder. And we should be more obedient than what the Old Testament was. The poorest Israelites were giving this. We should go way beyond 10%, and yet the average follower of Jesus Christ only gives 2 to 3%. That's wrong. I believe the tithe is like training wheels for us and we start there and when we get stable, we take the training wheels off and we go over and above and keep going and keep going and keep going. We start there and we should exceed way beyond what the Old Testament believers gave. I said gross or net. 
And I said, I love gross. I think I want gross help, not net help. I'm going to give God the biggest bite off of everything. And I got an email this week. I thought it was funny. This person said, I'm so thrilled. It's the first time ever I've tithed on state and federal. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get that email all the time, you know. Now, I said something else that got a little bit of feedback, and I'm going to clarify this. I said, I believe in capitalism. I love capitalism. And I had a bunch of people that were business owners that were like, preach it, brother. And then I had a bunch of people that were 30 and under. Not kidding. The sub-30 generation was like, why? Okay, now let me just tell you something. I believe that capitalism is a free market system that operates without outside control. It's a system that says, we're going to learn to negotiate. We're going to do something called trading. If I have 10 of these and you have four of these, we'll determine how many of these is worth one of those, and we'll do a trade. We'll learn to bargain. Now, in capitalism, how many know you're going to take your lumps? Sometimes you're going to be on the wrong end of the trade, and you're going to find out, oh, I could have got a better deal. You're going to get smarter, and you're going to learn how to do this. But capitalism, no one forces you to make the trade. You're allowed to make the trade. Socialism, on the other hand, takes the money from people and says, you know what, we're going to take it from you and you only get this much left and we're going to decide what you get to eat. We're going to decide where you live. We're going to decide and we're going to try to level the field and it's not going to be trading for people. And socialism starts to numb people. It starts to numb people down. And it takes away achievement. Capitalism says, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Socialism says, you scratch my back, and if you don't, I'll break yours. Okay, so it's just a little different, okay? And what happens in capitalism, here's why I like it. In capitalism, well, first of all, the only reason socialism exists is because capitalism exists. I'm just going to be honest with you. You may not hear that in your school. You may not hear it. The only reason it exists, because there's communism, and there's capitalism, and there's socialism in the middle. And the only reason they could exist is because capitalists have a big old army to combat the communist big old army. And if Sweden and Denmark and Norway are out there and they're saying, well, we're all socialists, we, we help, we give all this money to the poor. As soon as Ahmed did a job or somebody else crazy wants to bomb them, what do they do? They go, America, come save us, please. We have no army, okay? Right? And so because we have one, we can save them. I'm just being honest with you, Okay? Okay, I'm just being honest. Now, here's the other thing. Now, let's go to spiritual thing. That was like a political thing, all right? Here's a spiritual thing, okay? Spiritual thing. Here's the deal. Compassion is a virtue, okay? Generosity is a virtue, okay? In a socialist society, they take all this money, they give you a little bit, and when you walk by need, you go, well, the government ought to help them. And the Holy Spirit says, why don't you give them something? Well, I hardly have anything left. I hardly have anything left. The government should take care of them. And everybody goes to the government, will you take care of me? But in capitalism, when it's run right, the Holy Spirit tugs at your heart, and you have a lot. And the Holy Spirit says, you have three of those. Do you really need three? Why don't you give one to the poor? And then you're in a crisis of faith moment. Are you going to obey the Holy Spirit or not? Okay? And when you obey the Holy Spirit, how many of the Holy Spirit, just you feel that joy? And you have that. Now, you could still be selfish. You could be selfish in communism. You could be selfish in socialism. You could be selfish in capitalism. But those other ones, they take almost everything you've got, take most of what you've got, and tell you you're okay. And capitalism says you've got a lot. You better take care of others. And that's why I like it, because it, it, it causes that virtue to go up. And I had one person say, wasn't the early church communist? No, they weren't. No, they weren't. 
Acts 4 and 5, you can read it. They voluntarily brought what was theirs and gave it at the church and said, let's just help people. I've got so much, why don't I help other people? I'll willingly bring my money to the church and let them help people. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira lie to the church, they say, here's all the money from our land. Here it is. We're giving all of it. And they both died for lying to the church, and that's a whole other story. But <laughs> Peter says, hey, guys, you didn't have to lie. It was all yours. It was yours. You could have given half, three quarters, all. It was your choice. It's your land. That's not communism or socialism. That's free market to saying, you know what? I willingly give and I willingly choose how much I want to give. I believe God wants us to have virtues lining up. And we ought to look at people and say, come on, you ought to give more. You, come on, let's all give more. And if I could say one last thing, I just can't stand leaders that want to be generous with everyone else's money, but they don't want to be generous with their money. So if you're following a leader that's not generous with their money, you might be following the wrong kind of leader. I want to see somebody that says, I'm going to be generous with everything I have, and I'm going to be an example of generosity in this society, and I'm not going to be a hoarder and a keeper and say, well, they ought to take care of it. I've been blessed. I ought to take care of it. So that's my little thing on capitalism, all right? Okay, a couple more things. I just was teasing about that. All right. There's poor in every system. There's poor in every system. There is, and capitalism is not perfect. It's not, but it's the best system I've found for bringing people out of poverty. So let's talk about poverty. It's interesting that in a capitalistic society, even our poor people battle obesity. Think about that. Think about that. We are so rich that even our poor people batter, battle with obesity. And think about this. The poorest 5% in our country are richer than two-thirds of the world. That means the poorest person in America is richer than four billion people on this planet. Four billion. But we still have an obligation to the poor, whether they're our next-door neighbor or across the sea, and we have an obligation, and there are great principles in the Word of God. Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10 says this. God speaking, he says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. He's telling us, don't try to squeeze every ounce of profit out of your business. There's a part for the poor. There's a part for benevolence. There's a part for those less fortunate and you should leave some for them. Be generous towards them. Give towards them. Proverbs 28, 27, on the same principle says, he who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. And it's interesting in Acts chapter 10, verse four, it's interesting that God says, the angel of the Lord says, uh, he says, I've heard your prayers. God has heard your prayers, Cornelius. He's heard them and he's seen your benevolence towards the poor. And because of your prayers and your benevolence to the poor, God is bringing your answer. What if your breakthrough is just waiting behind benevolent giving? What if your breakthrough is just waiting behind benevolent giving and that will get you your breakthrough? There's a principle to remember the poor. Now, some practical things as we move forward in this series. The Bible is very clear that when you sow, you will reap. 
And I've intentionally kept this towards the last part of this series because I didn't want it to be the start of it, like give and get, okay? Give and get. I believe our heart is worship, giving, and if God said, I'll never give you anything ever, but you have to give this to me, we should still do it, okay? So I started with that in the front. It's kind of like the rich guy that's trying to figure out, does she love me for my money or does she love me for me? You know what I mean? And so I want you to love God for who he is. But let me tell you something. The principle of sowing and reaping is all throughout the word of God. It starts way back in Genesis with sowing and reaping. In Galatians chapter 6, 7, and 8, it says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Matthew 13, Jesus gives a parable about a guy planting a seed and planting a crop. And he says it brings forth 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold return. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 talks about if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you'll reap generously. So it's in there, okay? And it's very important. It's very important. If, if we didn't sow and reap more, no one would sow. Can you imagine a farmer? Like, can you imagine this? He goes and plants a kernel of corn, and his friend comes up and goes, what'd you do? I planted a kernel of corn. What are you hoping comes out of there? One kernel. Why didn't you just eat it? Because we're planting it. I don't know. I mean, how dumb is that, right? But imagine this. He plants the kernel of corn, and his friend comes up, what'd you do? I planted one kernel. Why'd you do that? Because one turns into hundreds. It's an amazing thing. Sowing and reaping. It's an amazing principle. And his friend goes, I want to be a farmer too. I want to do this. Because sowing and reaping, you put a little in, and more comes out. It's a principle. You cannot throw this one out. It's in the Bible, it's there, but it should not be your motivation. But it is there. It is there. And when you reap, God says, why don't you put that into eternal rewards rather than here? So there's some great principles there about sowing and reaping. If I could say this, how many know it takes a lot longer to reap than you think it does? Okay, I'll illustrate this. How many know, like, you're going to do a new workout program, you go to the gym, you lift one day, you lift, you go step on the scale, you didn't lose any weight, you're like, I quit. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, I quit, it's over, I didn't lose anything, right? How many know that even after like a week, I've noticed this, whenever I really get serious about my weight training, I gain weight. I gain weight. It's like my muscles are crying for food and, and I need more water in me and I start going up and I'm like, that is the wrong way, Lord. It's the wrong way. How many know that when you give, sometimes you'll give and all of a sudden, something, something breaks, and you're like, well, look at that, Lord. I gave, and then it broke. And you're like, I heard that one testimony. The guy gave, and then he got a big old check. I gave. I checked my bed box. There was nothing there. We're over. No, 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 no. Sowing and reaping takes time. Takes time. And if you are accepting this challenge to start to tithe and to follow God in the area of obedience of finances, I challenge you to do it for 90 days and see if God's not faithful because he will be faithful. I guarantee you in sowing and reaping, you will start to see the return. And even when I'm working out and doing this, I may not lose the weight, but how many know I feel better? My inside is getting in line with what is going to manifest on the outside. It's getting in line. And your spirit is going to get in line. And spiritually, financially, it's going to get in line with what will manifest on the outside. I believe that. Sowing and reaping, it's there. Now, a couple practical things for you. Parents, you need to talk to your children 
about money. It's your job. It's your job to talk to them about money. And you need to give them the godly principles. And it's a proven fact that if you're generous, the majority of the children of the people that are generous, they will become generous. Does that make sense? Parents that are generous, it's a majority of your kids will grow up to be generous. But it's a proven fact. If you're stingy, only one in four of the children will break out of that stinginess. You will raise stingy kids if you're stingy. You will raise generous kids if you're generous. They will see what you do. You need to talk to them about your finances. I challenge you one day to give your child, when you believe they'll keep a you know, relative degree of confidence, give them a tithe check or whatever you want to do. Give them a substantial check to put in the church. And let them see that. Let it catch their attention and say, that's right. We believe in giving God the first bite. Let them see that. Let them see that principle. And I'll tell you this, don't always say this. It's bad parenting. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. You know, you just start saying that statement, that's not good parenting. You can say, we've made a choice. We're tithers. We're givers. We're doing some sacrificial giving for kingdom builders and doing this. So we're not doing that. We could have afforded it, but we're choosing this instead. Matter of fact, we're also putting money in savings. And your mom and dad are living by the principle of deferring the payment, deferring the pleasure. We're going to pay for it first, and we're going to pay cash. We're not going to use that credit card to buy now. We're going to wait, and we're going to show some maturity. And you can teach them the examples, and you can show them, but don't all say, we can't afford it, we can't afford it. I did that one time, and Connor and Logan came in with their piggy banks. Can we afford it now? I felt so bad. Like, I can't afford it. I just don't want to buy it. You know, so don't bad parent, all right? And somewhere in there when you're teaching them the financial principles, buy them ice cream too. I'm just saying, just buy them ice cream somewhere in there, all right? Let me speak to people that do auto giving. Um, we have that in church. We do that a lot. A lot of people do online auto giving. I'll just tell you right away, the best way you can give is through e-check. It only costs the church 50 cents when you do that. Uh, and we appreciate that when people are systematic. Uh, that another way that people do is online giving. They use credit cards. We get charged about 2.5%, and our leadership, our elders, have felt that, that that's a reasonable exchange, that it's, our soft costs are saved. We don't have to count it. There's other things that we don't have to do, and so it works out. Now, if you just want to know the best way to give, that, that e-check is the best way. Now, if you want to give on a credit card and get the miles, that's between you and God, all right? But it's just 50 cents on e-check, all right? I'm just saying. Now, here's what I want to say to people that do e-check, because it's awesome for the church. We get more systematic giving, whether it's a snowstorm or not. I mean, check comes in. It's awesome. But I felt God speak to me about this with e-check. Don't come to church without the opportunity to give. Don't think, I did e-check, so I don't have a checkbook. I did e-check, I don't have any cash. I did e-check, I don't have it. Don't celebrate that you came to church without the opportunity to give. And I do this not for our church. Remember, e-check gives way more money to the church. I'm doing this for our missionaries. I'm doing this for the compassionate tug moment where the Holy Spirit says, do something. And you go, oh, I forgot my checkbook. Oh, I don't have any cash. I don't have any of that. Okay, if that's you, you say, I don't have cash, I don't have... Uh, checks. I don't do that. I do everything with, with credit card or online. I'm just going to tell you this. Hold yourself accountable with somebody. Tell them like, hey, I, I felt led to give the missionary $100. Will you just follow up on me on that? You say, well, I don't want to know the left hand, right hand. You know, get over that, all right? You're just holding accountability. You're not bragging, okay? You're not bragging. The whole principle of that is don't brag when you're giving, okay? 
be accountable. Don't let the Holy Spirit moment where you say, I want to give to that missionary, be lost after you go out to eat after church. You know what I'm talking about? After church, you're full. You're like, what missionary? Don't do that, all right? So just a challenge for you on each check. All right, last thing, a little bit of help for you. I want to help you to get out of debt because Proverbs 22.7 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender, okay? You will become servant or slave, one translation says, to the lender. They didn't have collateral like we do now. And so they actually put their life up against the loan, okay? But what, the principle of this here is you lose freedom when you get in debt. And you lose freedom when you get in debt. And you lose freedom when you get in debt. And God wants you to be free. God wants you to have uh, freedom, and, and you need to get out of debt. And, and the reason that people get into debt usually is because they're ignorant. They just don't know. Nobody's talking about money. And if that's you, please join Financial Peace University. But there's others that your problem you get into debt is because you have a disease called stuffitis. Yeah. You just see stuff and you want it and you got to buy it. Doesn't matter if it's a credit card or not, you got to get it. And there's a scripture for stuffitis. I found it. Luke 12, 15. <laughs> then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Man, it's not about what you get and what you have. It's about what you give away. Don't get trapped in stuffitis. But let me give you a couple principles quickly. Quit borrowing. Quit borrowing. Stop borrowing money. Because that says you need more than God has given you. It means that God doesn't know your needs. It means nothing will change in the future and things will change in the future. Stop borrowing money. Get out of debt. And with that, pray and honor God with the tithe. Practical steps. Save money for in an emergency fund. And if you don't have a $1,000 emergency fund, if you are not a student in high school or college and you don't have a $1,000 emergency fund, get one right away. Get a part-time job, sell stuff, do whatever you can. Get a $1,000 emergency fund because things will break. And when they break in your recovery and trying to get out of debt, you can take it from here instead of putting it on the credit card. So you need to do that right away. As you do this, then start paying off your debts. And we love this principle here at church called the snowball method. If you have five debts, and this is your smallest one, take everything you can of your extra money, pay minimum payments on these, and put all the extra on the smallest one. Doesn't matter about the interest rates. I know people say, well, this one's higher. Just do it this way. Trust me. You pay off all that debt, then you roll that money to the next one. Pay all that money onto this one. As soon as you're done with that, don't buy more stuff. Take that money, roll it onto the next one. You see what I'm saying? Now the minimum payment's 100, but you roll 200 in, you're paying 300 a month. You get done with that one, you take that 300, put it onto this $200 minimum payment. Now you're doing 500 a month. Trust me, that's how these people pay off 20, 30, $40,000 of debt because they do this and they roll this all the way through with their car payments. Then they get to their house, and at that point, they say, all right, we're going to work on the house, but we're going to right now set aside three to six months of reserve, enough for a rainy day, but not a rainy century. And then as the Holy Spirit speaks to them, I see people giving and giving and giving and giving, and I love this. That's where the Holy Spirit has us now. He speaks to us. We give, we give, we give, and you do this. I keep thinking, you know, I've got a plan and a strategy as we attack our house payment, and we do this, and we owe no interest on anything. I don't pay interest on anything except my house. That's it. And I thank God for the low interest rates. I mean, my first house was at like 9.5%. How many are thanking the Lord for the rate that it is now, okay? So 
I've got that interest rate, but I've got everything else, no interest. I don't pay interest on anything. And so I'm in this position now where I could think and dream of the day, what's it going to be like when I pay off the house? Think of how much I can give then. Think of what we can do. Think of the things that, you know, no house payment. So it's an amazing thing. And as you do this, you can just give and give and give. Closing thought. I believe this as you study the Bible. In the Old Testament, God wanted to establish a kingdom. So he prospers his people and they build cities and they build walls and they have military and they build the temple and he's establishing a country. He's establishing a kingdom. I believe in the New Testament, when God prospers us, he wants us to expand a kingdom. Big difference. Establish, buy stuff. Establish, get things in place. Expand, give missionaries, more ministry, more churches, more people finding Jesus. And I believe Romans 10, 13 and 15 says this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one on whom they've not yet heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And I believe that God calls some to sell everything and be the ones that go. And I believe the rest of us that are here say we will be senders. God has blessed us so we can send you and pay and give and invest in eternity. And we can say, God, we send them, we invest in them, we expand your kingdom. So Lord, I pray right now that you would help us to realize this. We are here to expand your kingdom. And I pray right now we'd realize it's not what we'll do with the money someday, but it's with the money that is in our hands today. What will we do with it today? Help us to be faithful stewards. Help us to live by good biblical principles in a a country that allows us to prosper. Help us to prosper, to be uh, creators and inventors so that we can use that money for the kingdom of God. Help us to expand the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.